right, cats and kittens, we're back with another very special stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of the Brando Cast. It is the goddamn motherfucking 100th episode. And in the last 100 episodes, we've had heavy hitters like Catherine Hahn, Black Francis from the Pixies, Dionne Warwick, Heather Graham, Patton Oswalt, Jimmy Pardo, holy Christ, so many other people. But still to this day, the number one most listened to podcast on this dumb little program is with my guest today. She's back for round three. The lovely and talented and unbeatable Paget Brewster. Wait, can you hear the gardener? Can I close that window? Um, is it your gardener? No. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Um, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I, um, you know what? I'm starting to lose a little bit of the pandemic weight. I got up to like, uh, my top weight of all time, but it's starting to come down a little bit. What are you doing? Cause I need to do it. Cause I, 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 I gotta, I gotta turn the tide. Um, I have started to turn the tide. I have started to go back to the YMCA. The Hollywood YMCA is not open yet. They are renovating the place, but I've been going to some of the other ones. Uh, and that has made a huge difference. Also, slowing down on um, the late night runs to Del Taco or Taco Bell. Oh, that'll kill you. <laughs> yes, that will kill you. Um, my friend, it is so good to see you. Um, I was hoping to run into you at a holiday party back in December, but alas, that did not happen. I know. I couldn't go. But um, what else is going on in your life? Uh, besides the gardener that just started <laughs> making noise right when we started, which is so irritating because I know on Thursdays, this guy usually shows up to the house kitty corner behind me at one thirty or 2. <laughs> I thought we were going to be fine, and now I feel like my neighborhood has failed you. Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm a little. I'm a little. Uh, I just want this to be over. And, and and as far as I know, I never got COVID, and so now I feel like, well, am I supposed to get it? Like, should I have had it by now? I I I, I just I would like the world to begin again. Um, here, here. I I don't know if you knew this, but I got COVID. Oh. The sort of the bad flu version of it. Back in late August, early September, after going to see the Foo Fighters at the Forum. <gasps> yes. Three days later, three days after the show, uh, I was on the floor at the Forum and nobody was wearing a mask. You were supposed to be in a mask, but nobody was wearing a mask. And uh, three days later, I came down with it, tested positive and was down for the count for, you know, a full week, which is a great excuse to watch bad TV and listen to music. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not laughing. I've been using the uh, stay at home and don't get COVID to watch bad TV and lay on the couch. <laughs> so I, I already gave myself the excuse. Um, but do you feel safer now? Like you've built up immunity, and you know if a, if another version comes, you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, I honest to God, I do. Um, and, yeah. But I did get boosted, even even when I was eligible to get boosted in November, I still went ahead and did it. Uh, I'm like, you know, give me a booster all the time. I'll, I'll go every Friday. I don't care. But um, no, no, I, I did feel good about it. It was good to get it out of the way. 
you know, there were like three nights of like, oh, wow, this is the worst flu I've ever had. But then once it was gone, it was gone. Although I did have a weird metallic taste in my mouth for like a month. What? Yeah, I swear to God. Ew. Yeah, it, it, it didn't. Food tasted fine, but I just had this. It was just like this aftertaste in my mouth. Now, speaking of bad television. Yes. Fans of the show and fans of you know that both of us appear uh, fairly regularly with our friend Arden Marine on yeah. her Bachelor-themed podcast. Will you accept this rose? Have you kept up with the franchise? Yes, and I was just at Arden's last week uh, recording the podcast in her bougie garage with all the doors open, everyone's masked, and we're as distanced as we can be in a kind of soundproofed 1921 former garage yeah, but we're all vaccinated and boosted. And a, a couple of people have, have had it and gotten over it. Everyone I know who's had it has gotten over it. You know, thank God. Yeah, I'm still watching The Bachelor. But the best part, the best part of The Bachelor is doing Will You Accept This Rose? Because you're sitting around with a, you know, a bunch of other very funny adults talking about this show that's really, it's kind of terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> or not enough is maybe what I should say. Um, not enough of what? Not enough genuine conversations, or maybe the producing isn't as good as it used to be, or or maybe it's overproduced, or you know, that's the thing is I don't I don't I've never even been on the set of a show like that. I don't know what they're like. Um, but I I I'm not sure we get a lot of actual human moments there's a lot of bad grammar of which i am now guilty as well although i constructed that sentence rather well uh but i just feel like i i want more i don't know what i want but i do like i i like the i like this shanae i like this bad girl i like the villains i love them Okay, well, uh, may I may I jump up on my soapbox a little bit? Please, what do you think? Because I, I, what is the answer? Okay, the the answer is hot people don't have to speak properly. Sure. Hot people were not their feet were not held to the fire when they were young, especially when they were in high school because they were hot. And when you're hot, you get away with a lot of stuff. You don't have to go deep. When you're broken and damaged and feeling like the world is against you, you have to develop different skills. Yes. You have to develop different skills uh, around the area of communication. And I mangled that that uh, that speech, and I am not hot. But You are. You are. People can't see you right now, but you look great. Well, thank you. Um, but hot people don't have to fucking worry about all that kind of thing. So yeah. when you throw 30 hot people into one resort setting, we're not going to really go much past the surface. I know that's why I was really looking forward to the uh there was going to be a geriatric bachelor. And <laughs> What's that? What? Wait, wait, yeah. wait. Wait, wait, wait. What? Yes, CBS. I mean, um ABC said they were <laughs> it would work on CBS. ABC said they were going to do an elderly bachelor, which I've been excited about for a year and a half, two years when they first announced it. And then I think because of COVID, it's just too, it's just too dangerous. But I thought <laughs> then you're going to see. And of course, I mean, just the nature of uh, getting older 
in this country, guaranteed it would be one surviving bachelor and, you know, 15, 20 elderly ladies. <laughs> and they have developed personalities and phobias and grudges and they would pull no punches. They wouldn't, a producer saying, you know, talk about your journey. They would be like, fuck you. You know, I think, I think elderly people would be fascinating in a dating environment. And I just, I'm only seeing that on, I'm only seeing that on, um, uh, 90 day fiance with Colt's mother, Debbie. <laughs> 70 and, dating, and she's fascinating. I, I wish that they would do that show, and I wish that you could be the host be, so oh. you could walk us all through that. Because if you think about it, my mind is exploding. How many of those adults in that situation would also have adult children that are part of the baggage and the mix? Oh God, that's fascinating. You're right. You're right. I didn't even I didn't even think that far. All all I was excited about were <laughs> dates between older people who know what they want and what they don't want, and maybe even would have some interesting old timey means of expressing themselves or, you know, I, anything goes, you just don't, because they don't, they, they don't need to, none of them would go on to be Instagram influencers. None of them would worry about, they would just be probably more honest because they're closer to death's door. I find I, I don't have time for bullshit the older I get. And so People dating in their 70s and 80s. I just I, I would I would love to watch that. And you're right. They would have kids. They would have problems with their kids. Maybe their kids would have problems with the other person's kids, like adults checking out who their widowed mom is dating. I just it's it's just a oh God, it, it, it's a great premise for a show. And I wish they'd do it. Yeah, my my heroin addict son drained my bank account oh. and now I'm broke. Yeah, my my ex husband left me two million dollars in debt. You know, oh, date me. <laughs> so much, so much developed. Not you know, when you're in your twenties, you've only suffered a certain amount. You've only learned a certain amount. And I, I w was certainly more attractive in my twenties. So probably a, a, an idiot. Definitely an idiot. <laughs> ah, I love it. I wish that uh, ABC would listen to this podcast and realize that you're sitting on top of a gold mine. Should you choose to do this, um, you haven't seen me on Arden's uh, Will You Accept This Rose? Because we are doing a side Patreon project for her. We are breaking down Summer House, which oh, is... Yes. I cannot believe you. I can't. I can't I, she asked me. I can't. I, is it fun to do the breakdown? Because I can barely get through an episode. Okay. Guilty have pleasure. Aired? Is it two or three now? Uh, three have aired. Okay. Three. I'm in the middle of two. <laughs> okay. And I keep giving up. You must know that it is one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah. It is pure garbage. It is pure candy. Talk about hot people and hot people problems. Oh. That's all it is. It's yeah. completely alcoholic. Yes. Every drama starts with a bottle. And Kyle. <laughs> and a bottle. Well, that he's one of my people listening to this should know. Uh, one of the great human tornadoes of all time. Kyle on Summerhouse. The ultimate bro. The ultimate drunk frat guy. The guy uh, who, who every night, if he comes home and he's engaged, and I don't think that's going to happen, though, he falls asleep 
covered in, in, in some form of snack food with the bag still laying on his chest <laughs> on, on a chaise or a chair or the floor. Like he is, he's great television. He's great television. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Alanons. If you, if this is triggering to you, don't watch summer house, babe, 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 <laughs> babe, wake up, babe, babe, <laughs> poor Amanda. Yeah, it's my favorite thing. I, I I came to this franchise late in the game, but I convinced Arden that we have to break it down. Um, we've already done a couple, oh and uh, I, I can't wait. To, the great thing about it is there's no secrets. Like it's all out in the open. There's no spoiler alerts. Sure. Everyone know. Everyone follows all these uh, characters on Summer House on social media. The show was taped e- eons ago, uh, and they've already done stuff that's very public. You know, including the, yes, the marriage happens. Nobody it cares. Does? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kyle and Amanda are married right now. Oh, wow. It's not a spoiler. It's People Magazine talks about it all the time. I don't look at anything. I don't. I barely go on social media. I don't know what anyone's doing. I don't follow anyone from Summer House. Winter House <laughs> just finished. When did they shoot that? Four years ago. <laughs> yeah. Winter. The the Winter House that just finished was shot last year maybe last january or february in yeah. Stowe, vermont and so summer house was filmed fourth of july last summer wow uh in the hamptons but i fucking love it it's the best um and i i'm i'm it's my job to convince arden that it's one of the greatest shows of all time um <laughs> so that's i think i think she's turned the corner i think she was worried that because she didn't know the particular players right. and that she didn't have the history of everybody um that she wouldn't quite get into it and i'm like it doesn't matter it's just hot people sharing a house in the hamptons getting fucked up and then fighting with each other that's it now let me ask you this have you said to arden once who would you date <gasps> I believe so, because um, Anna Hosnier, who's Arden's producer, is also on with us. We kind of talked about that a little bit as our friend Arden gets back out there in the dating world. Um, because she thought that Carl, the big tall yeah. guy, was the most sort of responsible. And we had to say, well, see, pump oh. the brakes on that, because just a few seasons ago, yeah. Carl was the train wreck. Yeah, but he did. he seems like he's got his stuff together now. Well, we'll see. That's the whole joy of watching this stupid program. Um, I am someone who has watched more football and basketball than you can possibly imagine, which is basically just the male soap opera. But uh, I love Summer House, and fuck you if you think I'm lame for doing that. Not, <laughs> don't, you're not talking to me. I don't think no, I'm not lame. talking to you. No, no, no. I'm not, not talking to you. I'm talking to people who listen to this fucking show. <laughs> ha! I did not bring Paget on today to talk about Summer House. We did not. To, I, I'm, by the way, Quick tangent, I've given up on The Bachelor entirely. I'm not going to watch Ooh. it anymore. Yeah, I'm out. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, you took the best part with you, which is Arden. Yeah. And you're doing uh, you're doing Summer House with Arden. Yeah, I, I just, I've been fooled one one too many times. And, I, and I'm, tired of, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of investing in people who will disappoint me as soon as their contractual obligation to be together is over. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I understand. I do. But again, Bachelor and Bachelorette are both just 
the feeder teams for Bachelor in Paradise, which is still a perfect television program. Uh, I agree with that. And the game that I like to play with Summer House is which of these people could be on Paradise and which Paradise people could be on Summer House. Can we cross-pollinate these reality worlds? These these multiverses. What did they do? I think they brought some Vanderpump Rules people into Summer House a few years ago. Yes, they did. And this year on Summer House, they've and Winter House, they brought some Southern Charm people. Oh yes, to you're the right. Show. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> I'm not supposed to know this. I'm honestly not supposed to know that there are Bravo celebrities. Bravo. And, as Andy Cohen calls it, I'm not even supposed to know that Andy Cohen is alive, but I do. Okay, enough. Enough of Bravo reality TV talk. Today, it's the 100th episode of the Brando cast, and what I would like to do is I would like to celebrate the 2022 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations, and I want to drag poor Paget along with me and maybe get her opinions on some of the people who've been nominated this year in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Just get her opinions about that. Maybe she likes some of them. Maybe she doesn't. Who knows? We'll see where the conversation goes, because there's nobody better than Paget Brewster and no one more fun on this fucking show than her so Paget, yeah. what i would like to do is i would like to read to you the master list of people who have been nominated for the rock and roll hall of fame oh and the this year and the list that i'm going to use is actually the current fan voting online because they want kids to go to rockhall.com and vote for their favorite um nominees uh and so far the the, to- the vote totals are pretty interesting. So I'm going to start from the bottom and work my way up to number one, just to give you an idea of who is nominated this year. Before we start. Yes. Because I understand I'm competing against myself here. <laughs> and I want to know all the rules. <laughs> yes. So I can beat myself. How many names are you going to list? Like 20, 50? Well, no, I'm going to list that they've only nominated 17 people. 17. Okay, thank you. And what the Rock Hall is going to do is they're they're basically going to take the top five of fan votes, and that will Whoa. that will equal like one submission to the Rock Hall. Okay. Rock journalists and industry people are the ones who really pick the Rock Hall. But let's just for the sake of discussion, you and I get to choose five people out of this list of seventeen to be in the Rock Hall. I know who my five are. Shoot. Okay. You're going to go one by one and I say yes or no? Well, no. I'll just give you, I'll just throw them out. Okay. And then then I'll. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. You got to tell me what. I'll I'll, I'll read all the nominees right now. Okay. And then one by one, I'll tell you who my nominees are. And, you know, we'll see where the the discussion goes. So coming in at number 17, Fela Kuti. Number 16 is the MC5 from Detroit, Michigan. Oddly, number 15 right now is Beck. Beck from Silver Lake, Los Feliz, California. The New York Dolls at 14. Kate Bush at 13. A Tribe Called Quest. Right now, they're at number 12. The Great Dionne Warwick, who was also on the Brando cast. She's at number 11. Devo right now is at number 10. Rage Against the Machine from Los Angeles, California. They're at 9. Carly Simon uh, is at number eight. <laughs> Judas Priest right now is holding the number seven slot. Lionel Richie 
is the number sixth fan vote getter currently. And here are their top five vote getters right now. Eurythmics at number five. Eminem at number four. Dolly Parton at number three. Duran Duran at number two. And currently, as we're recording this podcast, the number one vote getter online for the Rock Hall is Pat Benatar. Oh, well, okay. All right. Okay. Talking off the top of your head, do any of those names push any button in you? I think there's a clear five. I love it. Judas Priest, Beck, Pat Benatar, Duran Duran. There was one more. Just as far as rock Mm -hmm. and changing history. Carly Simon's a tough one because it's I don't know if that's a body of work. Dionne Warwick, is that is that raw? Is she rock? Is Eminem rock? Is Kate Bush? Is that is that rock? I mean, Kate Bush, I would say, has changed music. Pat Benatar, definitely like rock icons, Duran Duran, but it's Duran Duran pop. Like it, I'm very I don't know what to do. You're well, great. That's a that's a that's a, a band that changed music. I don't know how Judas Priest is not in it already or Beck. I mean, I just don't understand. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a little sort of behind the scenes info on the Rock Hall. Okay, so it's not purely rock and roll anymore. And it kind of never was. It's really the rock and pop Hall of Fame. They want many different artists. They, you know, LL Cool J got in last year. Uh, There's lots of uh, pop and hip hop artists that are in the Rock Hall. You know, Johnny Cash is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So it's not strictly Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. There's a lot of Motown artists that are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Pat Benatar should have been in years ago. Years ago, because she's one of the most important um, artists in the history of rock and roll anyway. And then if there's... you open it up to rock and pop, then Tribe Called Quest. Uh, I mean, there are, that's a lot, the, the, there are a lot of impressive people in that list that why aren't they in? And what you're telling me is because, okay, it's maybe it's possibly a corrupt institution, which is the most rock and roll thing of all. So I'm going to support <laughs> it. Rolling Stone plays a big part in the rock hall. Uh, Rolling Stone has always had a huge bias against heavy metal. Oh. Judas Priest has been nominated before. They By the end of the fan voting, all the crazy heavy metal the computer kids around the world will probably push them into the top five, but that will be meaningless at the end of the day. I don't think they're going to get in. So let me, I'm going to share with top, you. Yeah, who's your top five? I'm going to share with you. We'll go one by one, and I think that uh, Richard Sheltinga will play some music in the background as I give oh. you my five. And, and I'm, and I have picked my five, not on who I want in, but who I think should be in, also based on the politics of the Rock Hall. You know what I mean? So I'll start with this. Dolly Parton should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. A Dolly Parton should have whatever she wants in perpetuity and beyond death. I think she's so special. I think, you know what? I think Dolly Parton doesn't need to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Dolly Parton is Dolly Parton fame. She's already got the award. She gets to be her. She gets to live with her. So I I don't know. I think Dolly transcends. She, She transcends her own music. As, as an entity. You took the words right out of my mouth. That is exactly what I wanted to say. I think the Smoky Mountains should be named after Dolly Parton. <laughs> I think she should have a national park named after her. I think that the state of Tennessee should make her their state 
I don't know. Guardian angel. I don't know what you would say. Like she is, she trans, you said it. She transcends everything she should have. There is a Dolly museum somewhere, right? Dolly, well, is it? Her, her Dolly world. Um, I'm so ignorant and I could have looked this no, up. Before no, the it's, damn it's show. like, it's like Graceland, right? But it's Dolly world. I haven't been. Okay. You've never been. Um, have you been to Graceland? No. Uh, have you ever been to the rock and roll hall of fame? No. Um, have you ever seen Dolly Parton live in concert? No, I haven't either. And I'm kind of kicking myself for that because she came to me late. She came to me a couple years ago when I was like, I'm going to start listening to Johnny Cash for the first time. And then that broke open like this whole huge thing for me where all of a sudden I was listening to a lot of 60s country music. The sound of modern day country music um, scares me, terrifies me. It makes me think that someone is going to not only storm the Capitol, but storm my house. But I love that vintage 60s Johnny Cash, Dolly Parton, Waylon Jennings, Loretta Lynn kind of stuff. And one of the ways that I love to relax at night is to uh, have a cocktail and go on YouTube and do things like watch full episodes of the Porter Wagoner show. Oh, my. From the late 60s when Dolly was a young, fully formed performer right out of the box. Wow. So that's why I think Dolly should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Her influence on pop culture is colossal. Her ability as a songwriter. A songwriter. Is, I mean, just as a songwriter, she's so impressive. Yeah, she wrote, I think she wrote Jolene. It's like she wrote Jolene and The Bridge in like the same day. I don't think it was I Will Always Love You. Can you imagine the amount of money that Dolly Parton has made from I Will Always Love You? Good. She deserves it. <laughs> no, right. Of course. She, but uh, she gave all of those. Didn't she give all her? Didn't she let? Is it Porter Wagoner? I, the yeah. name is so hard for a dyslexic in my mind. <laughs> um, she he owned all of her stuff because he signed her as an unknown to do his show. And she. I, th- I think was going to sue him or decided not to, and just went, okay, go with God, go ahead. And to, and she gave him when he went into bankruptcy later after he stole her money and she gave him more money and ownership of certain songs. And she wrote that song for him to basically say, I, I let you go. Now you don't hurt me anymore. I won't hurt you anymore. Here's ownership of this. And I'll always love you. Good luck to you. So it is a song of forgiveness and and love that is just, I mean, she deserves, that's the kind of song that, that should generate money and is a song that a lot of performers want to play. I, I and, and it's the best part of the bodyguard. <laughs> and I love the bodyguard. <laughs> Do you know the story? I'll nerd out and I'll share this. I don't know if you know this. I'm Brendan explaining the bodyguard to you, please. Um, but that, like uh, Clive Davis, the the colossal record producer, saw a rough cut of the bodyguard, and he was like, "You're missing, you're missing something." L- I think this song. I think Whitney will kill this song, and it was "I Will Always Love You." Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. That decision was made with Clive Davis's understanding because he was her, you know, great champion, her producer. The you know the the guy who signed her and he understood that it, that bodyguard needed that fucking set piece kick-ass colossal life-changing song smart and guy. that's what happened smart guy yeah i don't think i've ever heard that clive davis what a bonehead <laughs> i think he's been pretty respected 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a fucking asshole. Um, okay, here's my second pick. My second pick for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think this band is as cool today as they have ever been, and that is Duran Duran. Absolutely. <laughs> that's the only. That's the only person you mentioned that I've seen twice in concert. Okay, tell me. Can you tell me about either time of seeing Duran Duran live in concert? Uh, the last time was, I want to say, six years ago, seven years ago, with uh, my friend and co-star from uh, Criminal Minds, Kirsten Vangsnitz. We went and saw them downtown L.A., and it was everything you want, everything you want. They had no, we're not going to play this song, we're only going to play our new songs. They gave everybody what everybody wanted, and they were great at it. And it was exciting, and it was, pr- you know, years before COVID, we didn't know. People mashed into each other, and you're just like someone's drunk and falling on you and you're like, Hey, babe, Hey, babe, let me help you up. It it was, it was beautiful. (laughs) And then before that, I want to say in like 2000, I want to say 2004, 2005, Duran Duran, they played a CBS Emmy party. What? And it was, they must've been, I don't know. They must've been Like, it's not a gig I think they would take now. So I'm curious what was going on. They must have been offered a crazy amount of money and been like, you know, let's let's do it, lads. And there weren't a lot of people there. And I had gone as the date of a of a a showrunner. And um, and I and I was like, go, go, go network. I'll be right here. You, you go network. I'll be right here. And I just, I just middle of the right in front, not, a, you know, people were listening, but it, it felt like a private show. And I forgot, like, it was such a, such an out of body experience. You, you've seen them. You feel the same way. I cannot wait for Duran Duran to play at the Hollywood bowl. Oh, so everyone can have the experience that you guys had a couple years ago because they're going to come in and they're just going to go hit, 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 hit. The new album is ridiculous. It's really amazing. Their brand new album. Uh, And they have a couple songs on the record that sound timeless, that sound like they were recorded during the Rio era, but they're modern. Like they're they're firing on all cylinders right now. Currently, uh, I cannot wait to see them live. I have a wish list. There is one member of the band. I'm not going to jinx it, but there's one member of the band that I think I can get for 2022 on the Brando cast. <gasps> I have made a request behind the scenes. So fingers crossed, hoping, hoping, hoping. Um, I'll full, full disclosure. I fucking hated them in 1983 cuz <laughs> i was supposed to cuz i was a metal fan and oh, they were antithesis of what i love but right. secretly i did like them because <laughs> they were groovy and i understood what they were doing um they're sort of a cross pollination of disco and david bowie and roxy music they're amazing but now more than ever i fucking love them can't wait to see them yes i have seen them live um has a member of duran duran ever hit on you um, as a member of no Simon hit on a friend of um, a girl I shot a movie with a young lady. We were at Cannes. Mm-hmm. We were not in competition. Uh, and I want to say, geez, when was this? Like nineteen? Oh no, man, nineteen ninety seven or eight. It was. 
that might have been the second movie I ever shot. And New Line optioned it and wanted to sell it internationally. And they flew three young ladies to Cannes. And Simon Lebon was hitting on the hottest one of us. I don't blame him. And I don't know if she did it or not, but he, I got his ID. Oh, I, what? I had some. It's like his con ID? No, it was like, it, yeah, it was some ID with his picture that said Simon LeBon on it. And it had the clip, like, you know, you would clip it on your jacket. So it was to get in somewhere. Clearly he didn't need it. You know, he didn't hand me his driver's license, but I don't know where it is. And I, I have looked, I've turned this house upside down for my Simon LeBon <laughs> ID from the Cannes Film Festival in the late 90s. That is eBayable. I would put right. I would put that at a thousand dollars on eBay. It's worth more than me. <laughs> I have a dear friend who will remain anonymous who dated Simon in the eighties. Oh, like they had a full blown relationship, and she found out that they were no longer dating uh, via the British press. Like literally, walked out of her apartment one day, walking down the street, noticed the British press. Uh, one of the tabloid, you know, rags, and the f- the front page photo was Simon with new woman, and oh. she was like, "Oh, <laughs> well, was it was it true or was yeah, it- oh, it's true, yeah." Oh no, I guess that's what ha- you're gonna date a really famous rock star. That's you got to take your lumps. That's gonna yes that happen. But I fucking love them. They deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I think that they're a shoe in. I really do think that they're a shoe in. Because they're so fucking amazing. Okay, moving on to my list. Another woman who changed the culture in the 80s. Uh, there's the great line in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Well, I'm paraphrasing like something like, uh, there are five different girls at the school right now who look like Pat Benatar. Uh-huh. Pat Benatar should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Patrick Brewster, agree or disagree? Absolutely agree. 100% agree. I named her in my top five, and I, I don't even think I got to five because you, you know, Pat Benatar. I I auditioned for... Uh, no, 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 wait. Don't get too excited. I saw your face. <laughs> I auditioned for animated shows, and apparently now all of these animated shows are, are like animal singing groups. <laughs> And they have you, they, for the audition, they ask you to sing. And I sing, Hit Me With Your Best Shot, and uh, uh, the Whitney Houston, uh, I Want to Dance With Somebody. Those are the two songs that I sing, depending on the mood of the cartoon. And uh, Pat Benatar is extraordinary. And you have no idea how many hit songs she's had. And just this tiny uh, fire starter of a lady. I remember what year, when was that? I was a kid. I mean, I must've been in middle school or not even a freshman. Like, well, what, what year was her first album? I don't even remember. I think the bit, I think, I think she really broke in 81, 82. Yeah. I was 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I just remember the haircut like that. Like for me, first of all, as a young uh, straight dude, I was like, holy shit. She's a Fox. A rock and roll fox, but with the crazy short hair, which, you know, wasn't really the thing at the time. And, and the tight pants, the tight leather pants, yeah. and the striped shirt with the You Better Run video. That's That was the first one that I remember seeing. But yeah, that was like 81, 82. I was in seventh, eighth grade as well. And 
you know, everyone had that fucking record. Everyone. Uh, everyone. Um, she's immense. Uh, have you ever seen Pat Benatar live? I have not. Have you ever done Hit Me With Your Best Shot a karaoke? Absolutely, I have. <laughs> of course I have. Oh, I mean, I've done um, uh, We Belong. We Belong. Uh, we Belong. I've done We Belong karaoke. I've done uh, Hell is for Children karaoke. I've done, like, the other thing is you you can't fail. Pat Benatar is such a great singer. This is how you this is how you uh, under promise and under deliver. She's such a great singer that if you karaoke it, first of all, everyone else is happy to sing along and they don't even know how you don't sound as good as Pat Benatar. It's just you, you go you go in with confidence and you belt it and you it's about loving Pat Benatar, not trying to mimic Pat Benatar. And then that's a solid karaoke performance. She's she's a great, great person to karaoke to. As people who listen to this podcast, if you've listened to even a few of the 100 episodes, you know that back in the 90s and the early 2000s, I was a karaoke whore. I was <laughs> always at the farmer's market on Saturday nights. I was usually at the Brass Monkey on certain <laughs> nights. Sardo's and Burbank. Sardo's. Uh, with my weird... Dimple, well, only dimples only once or twice because I didn't. That was like a touristy kind of. Um, that was a kind of a touristy karaoke bar for people <laughs> listening outside the city of Los Angeles. Dimples was this really weird karaoke bar right across the street from the old NBC in Burbank. And if you, if it was your first time there, they would give you a cassette of your performance. Mm-hmm. And that place was filled with so many wannabes and so many people who thought that they were going to be discovered at Dimples, that the atmosphere was really ooky. A karaoke bar atmosphere is always ooky, but I, I always felt like Dimples was just, it was just weird. So we preferred Sardo's in Burbank yeah. uh, and, and the Brass Monkey in Koreatown, where people would also go to buy cocaine. Um, <laughs> but one of my one of my favorite things ever, uh, my weird little assortment of karaoke friends included Nina Gordon from Veruca Salt, the band Veruca Salt, and she would always sing uh, Shadows of the Night, and um, she would fucking crush it. And it was one of the greatest things in the world to, to watch Nina do that. Mm. Okay, moving on. This is a band, I think they should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Devo. Yeah, yeah. Just for just for sheer originality and chutzpah and and pop and the hats and the I mean their outfits the get it's basically just a gas station zip up uh, 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 what's it called what's that called not a jumpsuit it's a you know what is it it's like a Carhartt it, it's a one piece pockets we are people I mean they're and and then also uh, Mark Mothersbaugh's a composer. Uh, yeah, Devo. I think Devo. I don't know. I don't know. I could see them. I could see. I'm going to just talk as a rock journalist for a second. I could see the rock put the rock hall putting them in. I could see the rock hall leaving them out because they've left out so many incredible, influential bands. Hmm. There's so many bands that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but mm-hmm. aren't because of the politics that I talked about earlier. Yeah, um, I could see Devo getting in. I could see them leaving Devo in the dust, but I think that they should be there because, boy, did they uh, influence a ton of nerds to uh, go get a keyboard and um, put together some weird outfits and start a band. Yeah. Um, let's see, we talked about your band before 
Can you just remind people of the early the early days of your uh, sort of rock and roll career? Uh, I was uh, in New York City. I was in a I was a singer in a band called Mechanical Bride. That was uh, the, it wasn't an it wasn't an all girl band. Uh, I was dating the drummer our, our drummer Christo. Great, great, great drummer. Um, and we at one point had two guitarists, Pete and Wayne, and our. Uh, uh, bass players Dave Vote, and then Pete and Wayne fought a lot, and we lost <laughs> Wayne, and, and then we just had Pete, and um, we were what were we? I don't even know what we were. We were rock, um, but we were democratic in our songwriting, which I don't now do not believe actually works. I think there maybe do need to be, uh, you know, one or two strong voices, and then people who are great collaborators. Um, because you can end up with a with a mishmash with five people, you know, uh, uh, working on a song. But we were called Mechanical Bride. It was in New York City. Let me see. What year was it, though? It was, geez, 1988 to 1993. So this is a long time ago, a long, long time ago. And we were so-so. <laughs> what? Oh, we had That's a lot a- of fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good run though that's a good run for a band that's five yeah. that's five years yeah that's before we reached the point where we couldn't stand to be in the same room with each other and canceled when we had, were we were booked to open for the sugar cubes oh which as you may know bjork was the lead singer of the sugar cubes one of the singers in the sugar cubes and it was a that was a big band and we were gonna open for them at cbgb's and we were fighting so much that we couldn't do it which is just that talk about the folly of youth how stupid we could have opened for the sugar cubes and we were fighting too much and we broke up wow that's insane what would you say uh, were your major influences or was it just a sh- super mishmash of was, uh, yeah i mean it like, ends up being a mit a real mishmash because it was like the pretenders the police david bowie uh science fiction like i don't i can't even you know you know like what do you toys that make noise i don't know you know we really maybe we didn't have a clear vision what was your outfit for the band what did you what was your go-to outfit uh when you had live performances i wore cat suits like (laughs) dame diana rig in the avengers so they were full body skin tight uh, you know, I had a couple black ones zip all the way up, long sleeves, just legs, the whole, the whole cat suit. And, uh, one of them was white, uh, turtleneck zip up cat suit with holes cut out of it. A lot, <laughs> a lot of cat suits and kitten heeled boots. Uh, not a lot of jewelry. Uh, I was trying to keep it simple, <laughs> but it, oh yeah. A, a, you know, leather belt, low slung over the, over the hips, low slung skinny little thing i was back then and um and i don't regret it i don't regret it at all did you did, did you incorporate ears into this uh, into no. this costume no, 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 no i was a lady i was a lady i didn't think i was a kitten it wasn't <laughs> halloween it was it was putting on a good show <laughs> what well, last question about this uh this band that should have been yeah. Um, where was the most sort of exotic or far-reaching place that you guys played? Like, what was the the furthest you traveled to do a gig? Do you remember? We like, didn't. did you did you go up to Boston? Did you go no. down to Baltimore? No, we didn't. 
didn't sign with any label. We didn't tour. We didn't the first the 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 craziest place we ever played Brooklyn. I mean, <laughs> we mostly were a little Lower East Side, like CB's Cave Canum, just the Lower East Side, and then we did a gig at Louderbox in Brooklyn. I'll never remember that name again. We the band was it just didn't go actually didn't go anywhere. We did not tour. We put out one 45, okay. <laughs> you know, vinyl, a, a mini album, a 45. <laughs> you have to put a special pad on your turntable. That's how long ago this was. Oh my God. <laughs> no videos were shot. Did you make a video? Did you try? Oh, no, <laughs> we barely had enough money to do a photo shoot. Okay, so where? what was your shitty job during that period of time? I was a bartender, mostly oh. a, a waitress, and then worked my way up to bartender at Sidewalk on 6th and A <laughs> in, um, on the Lower East Side Sidewalk. And I worked at Benny's Burritos, Kitty Corner across the street. I worked at Pyramid uh, Bartending, Marquee, the Marquee Club in Midtown. I bartended there. I was a bartender the, the, the whole time. That's, wow. that's that's how much our music careers took off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, a bartender in New York City. That's so great. it sounds so romantic, but it must be a fucking nightmare. It was not. I mean, yeah, but you know, when you're older and you look back, like what a great it was a great time. It it was a great it was dangerous, you know, but it wasn't I I couldn't live in New York City now. I'm glad I did it then. I'm glad I was there, you know, and 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 every generation thinks, well, I was in New York when it was great. Now it's turned to shit. Everybody, people in their 80s say that. Yeah, because I had this conversation with an 80-year-old who was like, oh, it was crap when you were there. I was there from 18 to 23 or 24. I moved to San Francisco and it was great. It was I was mugged. I, you know, everything, you know, bad things happened and poor. I mean, I remember once go, I didn't have toothpaste for a month, which is a problem. Trust me. You want to at least like rub a washcloth <laughs> over it. Like I was poor, poor. I stole meatballs mm -hmm. from a deli and I went back and I paid the owner. You did later. Yeah, I felt terrible about that. I And, and she couldn't. I, I, English was her second language. Maybe she didn't understand what was going on. You tried to make amends, and you're like, "I stole from you. Here's here's eleven dollars." Several times. <laughs> I no. I think I was being very generous. I think I gave her a twenty. I think once <laughs> later on, I was at the top of bartending. When you're bartending, uh, before I left New York City, I was bartending at Tunnel, Limelight, and Palladium. No, Club Three Sixty, which was in Midtown. Mm. I did not. I did not bartend at Tunnel. I wanted to, but they were doing different nights. But but Peter Gation owned all four clubs, and so so I was one of the bartenders. So I was making a lot of money, and I went back to the uh, the the um, convenience store next to the welfare hotel where I had lived for a year and stolen meatballs and rice. And I gave her twenty dollars for the the times so that I'd stolen meatballs and rice. And I think I just. I mean, I remember it being a very awkward conversation and not a no no yelling or fuck you why'd you steal from me but no thank you or it just she seemed confused but i i just said i'm i'm sorry and i really i don't remember what happened i i really don't remember now what happened well that was very big of you to do that well, uh, i was a thief that was <laughs> a family trying to pay their rent and some crappy little 
Waitress stealing meatballs? That's terrible. Did you have to deal with a lot of dudes hitting on you when you were uh, tending bar? Yeah, but you're actually behind a bar. There's mm-hmm. nothing they can do. You know, it ah. wasn't. I wasn't a cocktail waitress getting my ass slapped. I didn't mm-hmm. do that. That that was part of what was great about being a bartender is there is act- an actual physical removal from people who are a problem. And as the bartender, you have more power than everyone in that room. You can kick out anyone you want. So that was never a problem ever. It was the 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 pro. My only problem bartending in New York was the male bouncers trying to kick someone out would inevitably become violent. And I, a man against man, a drunk patron being kicked out by a big, uh, you know, doorman or, or security. And I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to see the, these people I work with get hurt. So I discovered that if a me as a woman run out from behind the bar and get between the security guard and the drunk patron, the drunk guy now has an excuse to not throw a punch at security. The drunk guy may know somewhere in him that he's going to get his ass kicked. This big security guy who's sober. It was scary to do that, but I found it the most effective way to stop um, bar violence. <laughs> That's putting yourself in danger. Yes. But listen, if I did it one time and got popped in the face, you probably wouldn't have done it again. So maybe I was lucky or or maybe maybe I, I just think guys sometimes they, they especially if they're drunk, oh, I'm going to fight a little voice inside of them is like, oh, shit, I don't want to fight. So if you give them if you give them an out. They'll take it. I, one of my shitty, shitty jobs in the city of Los Angeles, again, to the people who have listened to this podcast, they know the answer to this. I was the um, happy hour DJ at Denim and Diamonds in Santa Monica, California. <laughs> From the summer of 1993 to, I don't know, late 1994, it was the number one line dance bar in Southern California. This was at the height of the achy breaky line dance. There was a Denim and Diamonds in New York. That I made the when they opened, I made the playlist for it. Um, I hate that kind of country music, as I said before earlier in the show, that sort of poppy uh, stuff. But I got the job because a friend of mine was the manager, and all I had to do was play the hits of the day. That place, the fights that happened in Denim and Diamonds in Santa Monica, 30, 30, uh, 30 blocks from the beach. Boy, oh boy, did those people who love to line dance love to fight. Oh. And the bouncers there were all like kind of ex football players who had moved to Southern California to be actors and nothing panned out. And they just wanted to beat people up. And if there was a problem and we had a problem because we had hot lady bartenders in like bikinis with denim shorts, like it was almost like Hooters in a way. Yeah. Um, And the, the, the number one fight was a drunk dude hitting on a bartender. And then one of the bartenders going like security. And then they would be like, time to fight. And then come over, like seven guys would grab someone, take them out in the parking lot there at Ocean Park and 30th and, uh, and beat them up back in the day. Denim and diamonds fighting all the time. (laughs) I hated that job. I hated that job. I hated that job because they would not let me play the music of the band that is so important to me. My last pick, my last pick Padgett Brewster for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. God damn it. They deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You actually said it. Um, I don't think they're going to get in because Rolling Stone sucks. 
Judas Priest. Judas Priest all day. Did you ever have a heavy metal period in your life? Um, I would say more hair metal, but I appreciate heavy metal. I mean, I'm aware of it. I, I, I worked. At, I, I did work at a bar in San Francisco, Andy Boy's Drunk Tank, and that was mostly... Wait, was, wait, wait. That was the name of the bar? Yeah, Andy Boy's Drunk Tank on Market Street, and, it, and that was... The only music played was heavy metal and Snoop Dogg. His first album. <laughs> that was it. Heavy metal. And Snoop Dogg. I don't remember any other rap artists playing. <laughs> and Metallica uh, or Kirk um, hung out there. The guitar player with the curly. Kirk Hammett. Kirk, yeah. Kirk Hammett. Thank you. Yeah. He hung out there. Yeah. It was like a metal, but, and it was great. I like that music. I, I don't buy a lot of albums. I'm, I, I, I just never have done that, but I'm familiar with, Judas Priest, certainly. And I also like the way they defended themselves in court. Um, yes, yeah, so did I. I was uh, I lived that. That was very harrowing for me as a fan. Um, you know, again, people know, listen to the podcast. The teen years were spent in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Albuquerque, New Mexico, specifically 94 Rock and Rock 108. They fucking love Judas Priest. And they came to Albuquerque every year. And um, I was fortunate enough to see them many, many times back in the day. So I hope that Judas Priest makes it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Paget Brewster, I have kept you for an hour. I want to know before, are you saying you want to let me go? Well, I think it's time to to let you go. I don't want to monopolize your day. Before we go, though, because Mm -hmm. I, I do think that's a shame. I, I think it's a shame Judas Priest is not going to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who do you think is going to get in? I think that not on my list. I think that they're going to put Eminem in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because they want the the fans. They want hip hop fans to tune in to. They want hip hop fans to come to the to the museum in Cleveland. I've been twice. It's fantastic. It's actually a really amazing museum. But they want people of all you know, uh, musical persuasions to come visit. I think they'll put Eminem in there over someone like Judas Priest. I think that they're going to put Beck in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I think that that's a done deal. They could put Lionel Richie in. I mean, who was bigger than Lionel Richie in 1983? Maybe Michael Jackson, but there was a time, remember, when it was just nothing but Lionel Richie. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> that was a that was the first bigger hit than, than Adele's hello that hello um yeah but gosh there have been so many I guess that's what's so hard about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that there's so many forms of music yes yeah. so people that aren't in there that it's just hard because how do you say Beck deserves it more than a, a, a Dion Warwick or Lionel Richie or I mean how do you it can't be subjective but it can't be based on sales or who you know what I mean it's just oh yeah no it's crazy well you know I always we I, you know on Rock Tales the the show I do on Sirius XM with Ahmed Zappa we talk about Iron Maiden uh getting snubbed every year they're one of the biggest selling acts of all time current day 
Iron Maiden. They're always on the year-end charts for top-grossing <laughs> tours, and their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame hates them, and they'll no, they'll never get in. But you know, Eminem is a huge fucking superstar. They'll put him in. Um, Dion Warwick, I fucking love Dion Warwick. I had her on the podcast, Auntie Dion. I I could see her getting snubbed. She was on the ballot last year too, and they didn't put her in. Oh. So I don't know. I'm going to play us out with a little Dion Warwick because yeah. um, I do hope that uh, Auntie Dion gets in. But um, you never know. Paget, thank you. Brendan, thank you. I'm just so grateful for you for always saying yes to come on this podcast because it, it means a lot to me. And well, and I, I like you, you know very much. Well, I like you too. <laughs> um, and I haven't seen you physically in. Isn't I know that crazy? I don't get to see you because you've got your summer house. You 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 got your own. You're not doing the Bachelor podcast anymore. So this has been great to catch up and talk to you and see you and. Ah, you're very funny. I love your stories. Nice. Thank you. Arden, will you just put me back on the fucking Bachelor podcast? You won't with, watch the with show Paget. anymore. I know. I just can't. I just can't. Busy with Kyle and Carl and Amanda. <laughs> it's, it's the best show on TV. All right. All right. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for liking, listening, subscribing. So many great guests coming down the pike, but come on. Number one is Paget Brewster. It's measurable. It's a measurable thing. Uh, and of course, the Brando cast is produced by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time, cats and kittens. Promises, promises, I'm up through with it.